History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 54, Community, in Germany during 1650 to 1700. So if you haven't listened to that, please go back and check it out or else there will be spoilers ahead. I care nothing for the people. Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere, The Verdict. My name is Ryan Weir and I am here in the HHE studio with the verst to my Wiener. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Guten Tag, Herr Ryan. Oh, guten Tag, mein Freund. <laughs> <laughs> and with us as always, it's Deutschland's Doofkopf of Doom. It's the incorruptible Judge Dursley. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. Paul, the last episode was about community, and here I like to think we have an HHE community of which you serve as our judge and jury. But I was wondering, how do you fancy a little promotion? Do you fancy being the mayor? Uh, the mayor? More of a nightmare, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but enough of this Titian and Toshin. Peter, before we begin, as always I ask you for the same thing. Can you please summarise the episode for us in, let's say, 60 seconds? But when, Ryan? When? I think... Now! I took Ryan to the mighty nation of Germany, Europe's largest economy. We learned the German roots of Neanderthal man and the history of the devastating 30 years war that left what was then Germany, known as the Holy Roman Empire, depleted of food, resources and population. We discovered Simplicimus, the medieval Forrest Gump who was the star of a hugely successful 17th century novel, telling one man's life as a soldier, a singer, a hermit, a fool and even a short stint as a lady. And we also met Frederick William, the great elector of Brandenburg, whose smart management of his state sowed the seeds of a great nation that would become Prussia and ultimately the Germany we know today. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, of course. I've got to say, I loved the episode, Peter. I think it could only have been served better with sauerkraut. <laughs> yeah, I thought about bringing some sauerkraut, but then I thought, I've got beer. Yeah, that beer is much better. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that is my opinion, Peter. Uh, but we're not here for my opinion, are we? We're here for the judge and for his opinion instead. So I would ask you, Paul, just as a starting position, what were your initial thoughts about the episode? Well, I it was quite interesting that your usual political correctness seemed to have been dropped in an episode about Germany. Um, I counted silly voices straight from the start. <laughs> the war was the war was mentioned in less than a minute and twice within five minutes. He's Which got is, a spank to write. He does. He fair. definitely does. But <laughs> yeah. I have a weak defence that I'm going to at least try. We say in comedy that it's okay to punch up, not to punch down. Oh. And Germany is an extraordinarily successful state that does very well for itself. So you know, they can take it. What he said. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm curious. Do you think it might impact your score at the end? Might go up, no, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, tell us about the research. So I thought this was going to be easy when we rolled the dice, as it were, the Dursleiter gave us what I thought was relatively recent, relatively European, likely to be well documented. But what was the real challenge for this was because it wasn't Germany at the time. So Googling Germany history, yada, yada, community didn't really give you anything. When you did the Holy Roman Empire, 
as part of your Google searching, it would give you really only the top line stuff that was the high level politics. Mm. And what we tend to do, I think, or certainly I was trying to do, was find individual stories or something more yeah. specific than just the politics of the time every time. But the full name of the Holy Roman Empire is uh, the Holy Roman Empire of the Greater German Nation, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that might have helped your Google search there, Pete. Well, I don't think it would because that only gives you the sort of interplay between the states because there was this collection of states. What you didn't really get to was to the personal very quickly. Mm. So then I found myself, at one point I said, I think it was like 300 states. So that's, yeah. uh, it was heavy going trying to go through each individual state, trying to find something that's that kind of concrete, interesting detail that makes these stories come alive for me. And it's even worse than that because, yes, there may have been 300 states, but each state was not a contiguous entity so you were getting enclaves and exclaves and counter enclaves and you were you were getting bits of the country that were sort of half the size of Croydon that was attached to another bit of the country the size of Buckinghamshire as far away as Buckinghamshire you know and then within that you've got another 300 states all sort of mixed together up in that it, it, it's just amazing it is amazing and it's frustrating at the same time because when you're looking for one story of over 300 states over what 50 year period you're thinking there's gotta be something there's some guy here who's did something that was notable enough to be written down yeah i do have reams of notes of studies about city states and and i was just drilling in and it's like this is at one point there was a interesting art well no there was an article mm. about <laughs> the relationships between the town and council essentially and the wider landowners and i was getting into it and i just thought it just isn't very interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah but sometimes i find as you're going down that and you're like this is not this is not right this is not relevant and then suddenly out of nowhere there's just one sentence or a reference to something and that sends you down another little rabbit hole and and you know you're, you're 15 wiki pages later and you've got a, you've got a whole half page of of content in fairness i do have to credit a reddit user renish dude who says he'd choose the kingdom of prussia mm-hmm. so that's actually what we ended up talking about and he says i find it interesting a lot of today's German traits like punctuality, the love of details and work ethic has origins in the Prussian culture. Yes. And then uh, with a wink, he talks about uh, the Bavarians saying... If your research must contain the always beer-drinking Bavarians, your research can be about the rivalry of Prussia and Bavaria. <laughs> right. So I guess Prussia and Bavaria did not get on. It's the odd couple. Yeah, he does also also say Bavaria was a lame, unindustrialized farmer state until World War II. Yeah, I think that's caricatured, isn't it, in the the image that you have in your mind of a Bavarian wearing like the lederhosen and the green cap and drinking the beer. It's a very country, rural sort of figure versus a Prussian perhaps which is a bit more rigid wearing wearing the pickle helm yes the pickle helm if you say prussian you immediately think of someone in a military uniform exactly yes yeah that's exactly right um but peter i was going to ask you about your research and you mentioned that you read the whole of simplicitus simplicimus Uh, i think it's simplicimus (laughs) god that must have been awful yeah because i I wrote not an easy read in my notes (laughs) exclamation mark (laughs) i like that you put an exclamation mark (laughs) i concur with the statement and the exclamation mark it was red is probably stretching it i scanned skipped through a fair chunk of it when it was getting a bit heavy it was it's actually fairly readable my problem was a time one if to sit down and read it would have taken Mm. a very large chunk of time so i kind of 
scampered through as best I could. How, how big is it as a book? Do you know? It's, I think there's a there's a version I saw online that was 500. I read it online, so it's very difficult to ah, say. But, it's not got um, the same heft, does it? It, it doesn't. You, you can't <laughs> tell where you are in it as well. Right. <laughs> the scroll bar doesn't quite give you the same sense of information. But uh, I did put a link to the entire text in our episode uh, details if people want to actually check it out for themselves. Oh, excellent. And, and you, you read it in the German, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> I read it in a translation. I didn't get too much into the translation. There was a, a big chunk in the beginning about how one translates these because you've got the mix of not just the language translation but the time translation as well yeah yeah of course Um, but uh, i didn't get too much into that did you get a sense of what the time was like there or did it feel like a fantasy story it it was a mix there's definitely fantastical bits there's stuff that was obviously played for humor and Mm -hmm. satire did you get a sense of like being there there wasn't like oh there was no there was not a lot of description there wasn't like and the house was like this and i was wearing Mm -hmm. these kinds of clothes and people were just introduced by name or or as a soldier okay. and there was horses there was not there was a red horse or a black horse so it wasn't a descriptive book particularly but what did really come across is it was really just that sense that sense of chaos something just mm. happens and then it's suddenly you're on to the next bit perhaps because i was influenced by the grimm's tales that you were telling me which i do have in a sort of weird fairy tale fantasy land in my mind that when you're telling me a story of simplicimus i guess i was picturing that as you were telling me that story so it, it didn't it didn't have that same oh this is a real world scenario with this character who might have existed at that time i did prime you with a number of fairy tales in <laughs> <laughs> you did. Yeah, devil tales i think <laughs> ryan mentioned this as as well and i noticed this roasting a carrot is that did you make that up or is that actually in it genuinely he's roasting a carrot (laughs) (laughs) we've all got the same image in our minds right the guy with the turn rotating a carrot on a spit i think they missed a trick turnip would have been better (laughs) (laughs) no that's what you say to him when you want him to turn it around (laughs) hey (laughs) it wouldn't be roasting a swede was it because the swedes were roasting the germans <laughs> they froze the Swedes later, as we know. <laughs> Keep them fresh. Uh, Simplicimus, right? I was interested and I looked this up a little bit further. And what I discovered is, is it has a modern version, a TV movie version. I wish I'd known. (laughs) (laughs) It's only an hour long. (laughs) I could have saved so much time. Uh, So it was filmed in 1961 in West Germany. It was directed by Hans Hartleb. I love his work. Yeah, you should do. Uh, Hans Hartleb, the director, he had uh, an, an illustrious career. He he filmed six movies, <laughs> including Hansel and Gretel, which I thought you might appreciate. Um, and the only other information on him in IMDb is that he's a Taurus. Oh, well, so. I'm bound to like it because I'm a Libran and Librans enjoy the movies that are directed by Tauruses. Yeah. Uh, Simplicimus was played by Ingeborg Bremert. Great. Who actor. you'll have seen in the other film that he's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, black and white movie, uh, one hour and five minutes. So oh, if you man. can find it, you that, should give that a watch. That would have been a real time saver. <laughs> <laughs> when was it written, Pete? 60, well, it was published 1668, I think. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was written after the Thirty Years' War, obviously, which came to a close 1648. It must be sort of one of the earliest forms of that. Uh, you call it a trope or something. You know, the little man sort of always in the wrong situation. Oh, the picaresque, the picaresque novel. 
Oh, picaresque is moving about, isn't it? I was thinking it was more like a Walter Mitty, the sort of the, the little man. Well, I I actually, I'm going to self-correct here because I said picaresque is moving around and it is generally, but it also, one of the feature, distinguishing features is it, it's a kind of roguish, low person who is the hero. Okay. So a bit more information about what picaresque really means there. I feel like you maybe made a mistake. You said in there that the book was taken to the Frankfurt Book Fair. Well, what I read said it was presumably presented to the Frankfurt Book Fair, and ah. I believed it <laughs> because it was on the internet. <laughs> well, I looked up the, the Frankfurt Book Fair because I thought, well, there's going to be some fascinating facts about books that have been, you know, famous books that might also have been at the Frankfurt Book Fair. Well, uh, the Frankfurter Buchmesse or the Frankfurt Book Fair, uh, has a tradition. It goes back 500 years, as you say. In fact, it goes back so far that uh, the book fair was principally handwritten books because this was before print. <laughs> so people would write a book and literally bring it along. Wow, I've sold out. How many did you sell? <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> yeah, so if you've got a couple of months to wait, I'll get you a copy over. <laughs> Uh, but what I did discover was it was eclipsed in 1632 by the Leipzig Book Fair. Leipzig. The Leipzig Book Fair. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take a point off me now, aren't you? <laughs> I know it. the playing field. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, the, the Leipzig Book Fair came in. Um, it had been the second largest book fair. It then became the largest book fair in Germany. And uh, in fact, it still continues to be the largest book fair. In 2019, 286,000 visitors attended the Leipzig book fair. Wow. So it is the place to be. So I, I wonder if you were correct about Frankfurt. Maybe he took maybe it to both. Not. Maybe, maybe. Well, he's, he's written them out by hand, presumably. Yeah. It's gone to both. He's sold one at each. Uh, but what I also found out is that the Kolkata book fair formerly the calcutta Calcutta, yeah yeah, book fair it's a winter fair in calcutta in india and is considered the largest book fair in the world with over 2.5 million people attending every year wow people love books that's remarkable that's absolutely amazing isn't it you sort of think about the written word is dead well not yet no not at all no more of it than ever before you ever thought about writing a book paul well, they say there's a book in everybody, but I'm not sure there's a book in me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm full of something, but not a book. Surely there's a, there's a little story in there somewhere. You could do a um, autobiography, Paul. Why I was right, the Paul Dursley story. I was born. What else do you want to know? <laughs> but yeah, I, I can think of you. Know, I'm not interested in you, so why should you be interested in me? That's the name That's of the, the book. That's the text. That's the full text of the book. <laughs> <laughs> like a kid's book. Yeah. <laughs> like cartoon drawings. <laughs> uh, anyway, there you go. Moving on. So I'd like to bring back something that you cut out, Ryan. Yeah, sorry. Snip snips over here. <laughs> Edward Snizzans. Uh, so, what, am I, am I only worth second best material? <laughs> yeah, no, you are go- you're getting the best cut cloth, sir. You're getting the best stuff, but trust me. I did do a bit that I've, I really enjoyed, but in fairness wasn't particularly relevant to our particular show, which was the defenestration of Prague. Was Bohemia in the Holy Roman Empire? It was Bohemia in the Holy Roman okay. Empire. So the... Peace of Augsburg was supposed to say a certain amount of religious freedom was granted to people in various places. But one particular 
duke or prince or whatever he was, decided that he was going to stop the construction of a Protestant church and he was Catholic and everyone should become Catholic and they became annoyed. So their way of expressing their annoyance with this person's representative was to chuck him out of a window. <laughs> and this is the defenestration of Prague, which I had heard of in sort of passing. But what I hadn't realised was there have been three defenestrations of Prague. Wow. So I guess it's something that the people of Prague are really into. <laughs> or accidental. No, I think they're all quite deliberate. They're a kind of a lin the Pragian equivalent of a lynching. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, two regents and a secretary got defenestrated, okay. uh, which uh, it was a 70-foot drop, but they all survived. That's a big drop, isn't it's it? It's a huge drop. They all survived, and then two versions of why they survived came out, unsurprisingly divided down Protestant Catholic lines. Mm. The Catholics said they were caught by a host of angels okay. and the protestants said they were saved because they fell in a dung heap, dung heap yeah, which, <laughs> which sounds more likely doesn't it so question for you when you say they're pushed out do we know that for fact or was this more elaborate like someone on hands and knees waiting by the window and then you're back a bit back a bit just <laughs> just a little bit further that is how i like to imagine it going down but it would have to have done that three times which i think is probably pushing credulity to its <laughs> I, limit I, I think defenestration means the act of forcing somebody out of a window rather than accidentally falling out okay so then my next question is is it impulsive like are they near a window and then they just push them out or is this a parade them through the street up the stairs well i think the existence of three separate defenestrations of prague suggests it's a sort of premeditated event but what <laughs> what was interesting and this is pure wikipedia coming through is there's some debate as to whether the there were three of them the middle one in 1483 is debatable as whether it was rec to be recognized as quote a significant defenestration <laughs> <laughs> just smushed his face up or against a, the window. Was it just a work-a-day normal defenestration, or is this a significant Wikipedia-level defenestration? That's the question. I was going to say, it's just someone's face all squished off against the glass. <laughs> come, come. Someone going, you're supposed to open the window. <laughs> <laughs> but surely they should have just worked this out after the first one. I said... Let's have all our meetings on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never go. That's what I'm learning. That Never is, go up that high. That is a lesson, isn't it? It's like, my enemy wants to meet me on the 50th floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right, thanks. The other thing I found but didn't use because it was previous to the time period that we had to do was there was a guy called Peter Hagendorf's diary. And it was a manuscript that was found. And this guy was a mercenary in the Thirty Years' War itself. Oh, no way. So it's basically the diary of a guy fighting in the Thirty Years' War. And he was a German mercenary. Mm -hmm. He was part of what was called the, well, it's got various names, but the Sack of Magdeburg, which was this possibly the worst event in what was a war characterized by terrible events. It's also known as Magdeburg's Wedding, the sacking of Magdeburg, the destruction of Magdeburg. The mercenaries came in and they just destroyed the place. Uh, they say the ma it was massacred pretty much everyone there. In a wedding? No, no, it's known as Magdeburg's oh, it's known wedding. As that, right. It's being ironic. Uh, as the sort of ironic title. Ah. But they had 25, 30,000 people at the start, and they had about 5,000 left at the end. It was absolute disaster for the town. Didn't really recover until the 18th century. And the Magdeburg Hemispheres, an experiment on air pressure. It took place in Magdeburg, and it was called the Magdeburg Hemispheres. What did they learn from this? Well, they learned that the air had pressure. So what they had was they had these two hemispheres mm -hmm. that fitted snugly together with a rubber gasket and no more. They pumped the air out of it, and then they got these two teams of horses who couldn't pull it apart. Oh, I see. Nothing to do with the time period, but... No, but interesting.
So one of the things I wanted to, was thinking about looking at was mercenary community because there's these people who travel mm. around and it turns out that the mercenaries, it wasn't just you go to war as a mercenary. His wife went with him and I guess everyone brings their yeah. entourage of people and they go off looting and trying to find food and stuff and help with the camp. So it was a family affair being a mercenary. That's really interesting. I'd never considered that. I always assumed it was young, you know, 20-year-old men that aren't married, you know, single guys that are just rampaging around the country. No, he goes off with his wife. He was actually at the the Magdeburg sacking. Mm. Uh, He gets wounded in the siege. And I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's something along the lines of, my loot consisted of the bullet in my chest. Uh, He survives the wound, but he talks about his wife then goes into the city to try and loot some blankets and stuff. Oh, wow. It was a fascinating thing but unfortunately outside of our time period yeah a lot of armies saw way up into the 19th century didn't they sort of the napoleonic wars you know sort of there was a huge retinue of whores and wives and page boys and shop people who followed the army and you know this was one of the worst things that a, a victorious army could do, wasn't it? To come back and rampage and kill all of the support people, which was considered unchivalric. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, it would be, right? I guess there are certain rules of war. There are rules. Hmm. So, Peter, I was intrigued by the whole Neander Valley thing and Neanderthals. I was excited too. That that was it was one of those classic little bit of threads that I wanted to pull. That like, is so out, couldn't be more outside <laughs> outside my time period, really, could it? Well, I pulled that thread. Uh, I was intrigued, so I, I did a little research. Uh, so, in 1856, there were a group of quarrymen who were digging around, and they discovered the remnants of a skeleton, which they called the Neanderthal. Since then, around 400 Neanderthal bones have been found in that quarry. They lived from around about 400,000 years ago to around just up to about 24,000 years ago, they reckon, which is super recent. <laughs> I don't think Dursley would have really appreciated how I rocked up with a bunch of Neanderthal facts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, th- I think most people sort of have an image in their mind of like that caveman-like thuggish appearance. Uh, that's mainly because they had a large nose. They had sort of strong eyebrows, stocky, supposedly only five feet tall, but really broad, big chest, big arms, really big legs. Uh, some had red hair and pale skin. Um, and freckles. <laughs> they know that because Neanderthal DNA contains genes which uh, contribute to lighter skin and red hair colour. All right. Well, and, and we are all part Neanderthal as well, isn't it? Part of the human genome is shared within the Neanderthal genome. Quite right. I've got here non-sub-Saharan humans today have 2% of Neanderthal DNA. There was a, a television documentary on the BBC where they were working with people in Germany to sort of reconstruct and find out the life of Neanderthals. And they got an actor and they dressed him up as a Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things, they put him in a suit and tie, and he went on the underground, and nobody really noticed. <laughs> I love well, it. I, I know it's popular science, but it's an interesting thing. You know, you were saying, oh, they're totally different. Well, they're not really. Okay, they may have been a bit short and a bit stocky, but then so are shop putters. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, people come in different shapes and sizes, don't they? That's for sure. But it's interesting because those guys that were on the tube, if he'd have spoken... He wouldn't have spoken like we do. Uh, Apparently, the shape of their throats, along with their large chests and posture, resulted in a voice which they think is higher pitched and louder. So it's sort of a screechy, loud, screechy, loud voice. Sort of a sort of hairy squat David Beckham. Stop turning me on. <laughs> you get the same thing. Lot, lots of lot, lots of big men have really high pitched voices. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so Peter, I think it's time. No. No? I have a final confession. Uh-oh. <laughs> I made up all of this. <laughs> I'm pretty no, I didn't it wasn't that bad. I'm pretty sure I made a mathematical error very early in the show. Mm-hmm. Where you poured the beer appallingly poorly. Yeah. And I said it was 70% foam and yeah. 20% drink. <laughs> I miss I missed that. <laughs> and so, Peter. We have made it <laughs> to the, the final part of the show. Uh, this is it. This is the end of the line for episode 54. It's time to step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Then will the defendant please rise? Uh, your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. Factual content was pretty high, I believe. I think there are a couple of asides that you missed, but apart from that, I, th- I think it was pretty good effort. Right. Well, then may I ask for your grade? Okay, I'll give you a... Um, a straight B. I heard him say I'll give you A. <laughs> so... <laughs> no. <laughs> um... Don't push it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Your Honour, may we then ask next for your grade for entertainment value? Well, I did like the nailing your feces to the door joke. <laughs> I know that's rather pathetic, but that's just me. So he was he was playing to a captive audience there, so I was pleased about that. Okay, then we'll be pleased to have your grade for entertainment value. Well, you might be surprised. I'll give... A minus. <gasps> Appropriately enough, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, nailed it. Ooh. Um, Quiet in the a- dock. <laughs> a minus plus. <laughs> He's inventing his own system here. Your Honour, may we please then have the grade for Dursley Factor? How did this tickle your bones? Uh, what did it tickle? I think I'm going to give it a B. A B? This is a high-scoring round. <laughs> this is very good. Uh, so, Peter, before the judge passes his verdict, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, which I would suggest you don't, yes. please make that plea now. I'd like to keep entirely silent. Your Honour, the defendant stands silent before you. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your ruling. I will first of all give a partial score, which is a B plus. However, if we remember, there was a hangover of one point. There was from last episode, From yeah. the previous episode. So I'm sorry, Ryan, I'm gonna to have to promote that to um, A minus. An A minus, Peter! Dun, 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 dun. That's amazing. Congratulations, Peter. I'm delighted. A well-deserved uh, A-. minus. Thank you, Germany. And thank you, Mr. Judge. It's uh, honour, your honour, your personage. So the next episode of History Happened Everywhere is going to be episode 55. It's going to be blue in Yemen (laughs) during the 8th century. You chose Yemen, let's not forget. I'd almost give you a point in the bank because this is going to be so difficult. But (laughs) as you were so stupid as to choose Yemen, 
<laughs> you should put out a plea for some Yemenid. So I'm looking forward to it. It's a tricky one. I'll, I'll give you that. It's, 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 I'm excited. You always pull it out of the bag, Ryan. Well. Okay, so that is our show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on the show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. As ever, we love hearing from you guys. So you uh, do get in touch and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation really helps bring the show to new listeners. And if you're on social media like the TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. Subscribe to those and you'll get a little ping when we post a one minute animated HHE bite, which we try to do every week. That's right. And one other thing to just let you know about that is on YouTube, we're now taking a sort of old clips from old episodes and we're just posting them on there. So do check out our YouTube channel, History Happened Everywhere or HHE Podcast, and you'll see little old sections little clips of me and pete from the past all right so a huge thank you to the judge himself thank you paul i'll feel ashamed and that's it i guess all that's left to say is du hast zugehört who do you think has got the biggest brain here between us three well i i i, I don't know the question is whose brain has the bi- biggest connectivity is clearly me <laughs> It may be tiny, but uh, it's how it connects together. Do you think you could recognise your own brain? Like, if I had five brains lined up and one no. of them was yours, do you think you'd be able to recognise which one was yours? Pick your brain out of a lineup. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst episode well, of The Usual Suspects. <laughs> well, of course, you know, Einstein's brain was stolen. Uh, was it? Yes. Did David get it back? So none of those were his ideas. He did them all with a stolen brain. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it was stolen uh, after he died. Uh, uh, probably for the best. Been, That's why his tongue was sticking out. But it's the crime of the century if it was while he was still alive. <laughs> it was believed it was chopped up. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Look at a sick souvenir. <laughs>